Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Please do not disturb the wildlife. And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and I am oh so delighted to be back with you folks today, sifting through my vinyl records. Hope you're all doing well with those New Year resolutions. Thanks for downloading. Hope you're all having a good time and all that jazz. But, Sam, why are we here today? Well... Being as it's the new year, I thought it'd be nice if the very first episode produced and fully recorded in 2020 would be one where you and me get to listen to some music together. Also, I I really just wanted an excuse to talk about wildlife again because, fuck, I love wildlife. Loki, it's probably the most underrated of Wing's entire back catalogue. I'm still listening to it frequently, despite having originally reviewed the album over two years ago now, and I genuinely do try to trick normal folk, like non-McCartney fans, into listening to it all the time. Yes, this is once again going to be one of those episodes where I pull out some old vinyl and head down memory lane. This is another Listen With Sam episode, whereby I sit down with an album and basically just talk over it and listen to it with you at the same time, just like we're hanging out together, listening to some records. It's a fun chance for me to talk about the album, especially if you haven't heard it before, as well as just providing the ultimate excuse for me to cover content I've already covered before in a new and fun way. So far we've been doing this side series chronologically, and after having done McCartney 1 and Ram, we must now, once again, take these broken wings and learn to fly. But before I start, I just want to take a quick second to thank you, the listener. I mean, by fuck, are there ever many Beatles podcasts out there, loads of Paul McCartney podcasts, and by choosing to take the time to listen to this particular show, you're already doing me a massive solid. So thank you. Thank you all for downloading. If you comment, if you ever tweet back at me, if you've ever emailed in, all of your support is overwhelming. I'm eternally grateful. If you want to get in contact with the show, the best form of conversing is with me via the email. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I love reading out the correspondence on this show. Let me know your obscure, weird, tenuous Paul McCartney stories. Or maybe even you want to challenge me on one of my reviews. Or maybe even warn me about an album in the future. Any and all correspondence, please send it to paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. For quick updates and regular contact, you can follow me on the Twitter. I'm really trying to push that now, trying to keep that updated every day, having lots of fun there. And Twitter's also a very useful piece of kit, actually. One very kind follower, Andrew Brooks, listed as at RealBlueMeanie, actually pointed out and told me that on our last episode, uh, where we covered Paul McCartney's hot hits and cold cuts in America in around 74, that the song Babyface he sung was not actually written by him, which is the exact same mistake I made when I covered Paul doing Goodbye. And as Andrew Brooks also points out to me, I also did the exact same thing when I reviewed Paul singing Hello Dolly as well. Well, all I can say is thank you so much at Real Blue Mini. Thank you for pointing that out. Thank God I don't claim to be an expert or anything. But yeah, for that and more, check us out on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Please check out our blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com, where you can see all sorts of articles and 
extra things that I can't quite fit into episodes and stuff that eventually did become an episode. So for your extra Paul or Nothing fix, go check out www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Podomatic, Podbean, whatever streaming thing you're using. If you can ever do that for us, that gives us such a boost in the ratings you cannot imagine. I really appreciate every review you give us, even the ones with a bit of constructive criticism, shall we say. And finally, of course, if you want to help keep the lights running, help keep the show ad-free, help keep us expanding the show in newer and greater ways in terms of our content and equipment, then please help support us on our Patreon. Patreon is a way that you, the listeners, can help support me, the content creator, in simply making the best show possible. Obviously, I do this in my spare time. I don't put ads on the show. I want to keep it that way. But the goal is to always spend more and more time on this show and podcasting in general. So if you want to support the show, if you've ever felt like buying me a drink or a coffee as thanks for the work I put into the show, then please consider checking out our Patreon page. And you know what, fuck it, it's time to give a quick shout out to our patrons, Matt, Robert, Tony, Warren, and I'm just going to call you A, uh, your name's in Russian, I can't quite spell it. Thank you all so much for your support. It's so amazing that when I started this show, barely anyone was listening and now we're getting thousands of downloads and I've got patron supporters and it's all incredibly overwhelming and... You know what, I'm just excited that we're putting out content every week and I'm going to be doing that throughout 2020. It's going to be our best year ever, folks. It's going to be some of our best content. Can't wait to show it all of you. Got some great stuff coming up. But now that that's all out of the way, let's crack on with Wildlife. Coming back to this album at this particular point in the show is a little bit odd because with all the stuff that we've covered recently on Wings from 71 to 73, I've gained a newfound perspective on a lot of the material featured on this album. A total of half the tracks we're going to hear today were actually played either during the Wings Over Europe tour or in the Bruce McMahon show, which we've just reviewed, of which three songs are featured. But if you think that that's going to dampen my excitement for this album re-review, then you are sorely mistaken. Like I say, I love Wildlife. Released in December 1971, Wildlife is the very first album by Wings slash Paul McCartney and Wings, whatever you want to call them. This was the band's first official studio album. And it would be their first product of any kind, really, until Give Ireland Back to the Irish, the single that was released in February 72 of the next year. So, for a brief period, this was the only content we had to base our opinions on Paul's first official post-Beatle band. To put it into perspective, there wasn't even another full album until 73, so you can imagine this year of sheer panic on the part of Paul where he's just constantly trying to play catch-up with the gains that he feels like he should have won from Wildlife. Like, yeah, the album didn't do well, for Paul, that is, for his own particular brand of success. Here in the UK, he went to number 11, and in the States he got to number 10, making Wings debut an American Top 10 album no mean feat. But obviously for Paul, the world is not enough. He wanted Wings to be number one, because that's what he was used to. And until very, very recently, the album had been long relegated to the McCartney bargain bin. I mean, at this point though, I'm not even sure what Paul was expecting in terms of the public's response to this product. If he was so concerned about getting the album to number one, then surely he could have easily gone the more commercial route. Like, he knew that the polished Beatle thing is probably what the public would have wanted and yet he still went for this concept whereby he was going to get wings together really really quickly a bit like instant karma and then record everything really roughly and quickly a bit like Bob Dylan's The Basement Tapes to create this rough and raw sound on the album which is not commercial comparatively at least 
So, can he really moan when the public doesn't like his non-commercial album? As much as something well-made and full of mass appeal tracks as Band on the Run? I don't think he can, really. Band on the Run deserves its spot in history, of course, and Wildlife deserves its spot amongst Wings diehards. But I think in the eyes of what Wildlife set out to do, which is just to kind of be a quasi-concept album of what it would be like if you just kind of shambolically threw an album together with a band who didn't really know each other, then it, it definitely does just that. And thanks to the recent McCartney archive collections that have just been released, finally this album has had a bit of exposure within the fan base at least, and there's been a lot more conversation about it, people are talking about this album a lot more, which definitely gets me excited, because this is a, a part of Wings' history that is so overlooked, and there was so much going on, and there's an infinite number of what-ifs to work with. This is also a very nostalgic episode for me, purely because Wings Wildlife was the first album that I reviewed on this show, all the way back in the day when we were fab, that I actually hadn't listened to at all prior to starting the podcast, so this was sort of virginal, fertile ground for me. And whereas McCartney One and Ram are albums that I grew up with, especially at university, this is going to be the, the first listen with Sam, where I get to go back to some content that really only exists in my life now because of this show. So it'll be interesting to see how my opinions have changed purely within the time span of this podcast. In terms of what I'm going to be listening to here today with you folks, it will indeed be my own vinyl copy of Wildlife that I picked up in Coventry City Centre Market. And then in post, I will mix in a digital version of the album for your own pleasure. I know it doesn't quite line up perfectly for everyone if you try and listen along with your own copy at home. It's, it, it's very hard for me to mix that all t- together perfectly, especially in downloading separate songs and the the different lengths and where certain files cut off and different versions of and different versions of the album that everyone has but honestly i feel that listening to the episode here as is is probably the best way to absorb the content anyway let's crack on i'm going to gear up my crackly little vinyl copy of the album but just before i press play i wanted to read the little origin story on the back of the album cover because it's it's just so whimsically silly and adorable and even if i did read it out on the first episode i simply cannot resist when paul and linda mccartney were in new york recording ram they needed a drummer so they found a sweaty old basement in the west 40s and invited some drummers to play on an old battered drum kit one of those who turned up and went straight for his tom-toms was Denny Sywell, a tall type with eight generations of drummers in his family, who played well and left the drum kit throbbing. After that, Paul, Linda and Denny played together on Ram and then each took off for a holiday. The Max returned to Britain and during their time following wrote a bunch of songs at their country retreat. When the time came to go recording again, they rang Denny Lane, a Birmingham lad, and asked him if he was coming out to play. Replying in the affirmative, he brought his faithful guitar, and he and the Max, along with Denny S, who had arrived from the States as if by magic, carrying his wife who was drunk again, and his drums, proceeded. They rehearsed for a while, sang some old songs, wrote some new ones, and in time, headed for the big city studios. In three days, they had laid down most of the tracks, and by the end of a couple of weeks, the album was finished. In this wrapper is the music they made. Can you dig it? And as I just gear up my record player now, it's also time to start thinking about what would people have been expecting in December of 1971? 
Did some people think it was going to be like McCartney 1? Did some people think he was going to do just Ram but with another band again? Did they think it was going to be something like The Beatles? Was it going to be a pure Paul McCartney project? All of these questions would have been in the air and would have made for fantastic podcast content. But let's try and put ourselves in their mindset now as we listen to Wildlife. And we're about to hear that opening McCartney scream. Yeah, it's as grating as ever, isn't it? Yes, folks, we're starting off with Mumbo here, track one. And for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while now, we'll know that me and this song have been through everything from negative to positive to mixed feelings. However, after much exposure, this song is much less shocking to me now. And at the same time, my love for all things kitsch and weird McCartney has only grown. And by fuck, is this ever one of the weirdest, most kitsch McCartney songs ever? Still, even though I no longer detest this song in the same way anymore, I still firmly stand by the fact that this is one of the worst opening songs to grace a McCartney album ever. Paul's vocal is still absolutely shocking to me. It's oddly alluring for me now, but like, Jesus Christ, is it ever the awkward introduction to Wings, especially in terms of what they would become and where they would go. Again, going back to what I was saying, like, imagine people who have grown up on the Beatles and then you hear this. Especially if you haven't heard any of McCartney's other solo work before Wings, even more shocking. Okay, yes, in Paul's defence, it's it's pretty damn daring, but sticking the landing is another thing entirely. Like it does feel like I'm somewhat jumping the gun by mentioning the mixing and the recording of this song, because it is so important. Again, the first two solo McCartney projects were not received well back in the day, and yet in an almost act of stubborn defiance of the expectation for him to produce this lush band George Martin-esque album like Abbey Road he goes ahead and gives us this instead which to this day even with the remasters is still quite a horribly mixed song I mean even with all the fantastic work done on the 2018 archive collection series there's still very little work that you can do to shine this turd and make it something releasable for someone who's not a die-hard Wings fan. Still, what I do like is that in the recent mix of these songs, the guitars are brought up right in front of the centre of the mix, and it shifts the, the song from a less garbled dirge tune into more of a grinding, wild, no pun intended, rock track. There are some parts we hear in the song that are these really fun guitar duels that I simply couldn't hear the first time. As with all the early wings though, I do enjoy the somewhat shambolic nature of the mixing. Like, I, I know it's a bit contradictory, but a lot of my feelings, like I say, are complicated on this album. But the fact of the matter is, it will always be a loss that we didn't get songs like Mumbo in a more professional form. Also, in the live versions we hear of this song, the vocals are brought up to the point of legibility and you can actually understand what the, the lyrics are. It's, it's strange that Retrospectively, Paul, the man who put the lyrics on Pepper so that him could read them, would put out a song so distorted and raw. Again, I, I do kind of love that. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of bold. Let's see what the internet thinks he's saying though. Apparently, the, the lyrics are, "Well, your love in my mind, oh woman, I'm breaking. Well, my mind's gotta take. No one doesn't break you. Ooh, come on, keep it on playing. Come on, keep it on play. Come on, keep it on player. Come lose it or player." Well, my mind is in love, my mumbo will break you. <laughs> what? That literally is nothing. That literally is nonsense, Paul. Also, got to do a massive shout out to the 
really cool and really audacious remix that Paul did of this song for his Twin Freaks album that he did in 2005. Absolutely love that one. Yeah, Mumbo Man. Like, I love to hate it, I hate to love it, but I really can't stop listening to it and I cannot say that it's not an immensely interesting Paul McCartney composition. Next up, and we have the semi-thesis statement song for the album in the form of Bitbop. And when I say semi-thesis statement, I mean that in the way that Bitbop, like the album itself, is a little on the unfinished side. Famously, McCartney himself purports this opinion, even comparing it to his father's own views on short skirts being unfinished. But I wouldn't say we've drifted back to the like, Teddy Boy McCartney 1 levels of unfinished here, because this is a, a willingly rushed production, like they were conscious of that. But there is a certain over-reliance on repetition that could put some people off. Not fucking me though, folks. No, I've always really enjoyed the jovial Bayou atmosphere that this song emits. I mean, who can resist Paul in this kooky, rural hermit mode, coupled with the song's inherently childlike and silly lyrics? It's utterly charming for me, in the way that McCartney genuinely has the ability to elevate any nonsense into a more cohesive and ultimately more meaningful experience. First of all, the riff and the melody is not only catchy, but is entirely malleable as it flows throughout the track with this brilliantly laissez-faire attitude. Same can be said for Paul's bass holding it all together with this almost like teapot bass dull thud to it. Boom, boom. Especially when compared to those really tinny, swampland, murky guitars. Like whether for you this is an actual children's tune or just some stoner chill-out tune. This is the kind of song that you just simply put on and enjoy the ride. It isn't going anywhere in particular, it's relaxing, it's chilled, and that's fine because you like that place that you're in. I'd love to meet anyone who would be able to not sing along to this song. I mean, in some ways, its sing-along ability is some of the most in-your-face sing-along ability in all of Paul's songbook. It's almost daring you not to sing along with this utter nonsense. But again, with it being Paul, it does attain some meaning and charm that no other artist would have any hope of achieving. The fact that the Wingspan compilation album has an impromptu medley from the McCartneys doing Bit Bop and Hey Diddle, it has forever cemented the idea that these two tracks are connected. And I would have loved a version of Hey Diddle on Wildlife. I mean, he's already using Dear Friend on this album from the Ram Sessions, so it's not like all of his solo stuff is this untouchable material. Though, it would have meant we wouldn't have gotten the fantastic Ernie Winfrey remix of Hey Diddle in 74. Anyway, back to Bitbop. Though, to be fair, Bitbop is another song on this album that could have used a remix before being put out. And it did when they took the song on tour. 
I'm not going to be able to do much of this review without constantly mentioning things like the Bruce McMahon show and Wings Over Europe, so I don't expect this to be the last time, but the European tour did take this timid little song and make it into much more of a throaty arena-filling type rocker with a much heavier guitar sound and this pounding percussion section. Again, I know I've already mentioned my issues with the decision to produce this album in the way they did, but if the majority of these live one-off bootleg recordings from tours or recordings from unreleased concert films sound better than the album version, then we do have somewhat of a problem here. And moving swiftly on to another song that always puts a smile on my face whenever it comes up on shuffle, this is Love is Strange, a cover of the Mickey and Sylvia hit from 1953. As we all know, this was nearly optioned as a single for Wildlife, but the momentum of Give Ireland Back to the Irish, no doubt fueled by the real-life events themselves, meant that this single was shelved. And it also meant Wildlife had no true single. I do love that this was the track that was going to be the single though. It's way much fucking better than the original track. And out of the whole album, aside from Dear Friend, which was taken from a previous session, it was the most polished of the upbeat tunes on the record. Being a cover, it is also pretty darn commercial for wildlife. And it's even possibly even more faithful to the concept of the album, in that being a cover, it's a, a, a true way for a band to connect who don't know each other yet, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's, it is the perfect bonding experience that we get to hear live, and I think that's what Wildlife is meant to be about. The more I think about it, Wildlife could have been stuffed with covers, you know, to dilute the contemporary audience's reactions to some of the original compositions maybe, as well as give it a little more marquee value. This whole extended intro that we're listening to here though is such a great introduction to Wings as musicians and as a band. Like, the original intro for this song is only around 15 seconds long. So here, for us to get this slick and sexy, tension-building, lengthy, instrumental segment feels like a, a chilled-out introductory credit sequence for the band. As with the rest of the album, the two dueling intertwined guitars that we hear in the opening part are rough, yes, and maybe a little garbled, but there is a real dissonance to it, a perfection in the imperfection that I really find hard to dislike. It's not even a very guitar-focused album, much to Jenny's chagrin, I'm sure, but there are little moments like this where you are reminded that this is meant to be a rock band rather than just another pop vehicle for Paul. And it also ties back really nicely to the dual guitar work that we heard just in Mumbo a couple of songs ago. This whole intro part is also why I think it was chosen as a single. Like, if you play the whole intro where the band are this non-shambolic unit and are on form, and people who have just tuned in after the, you know, maybe after the announcement of what the song is like, they're going to be like, who is this? Who is this? And then bam, as we're going to hear it in a second, Paul is going to come in and everyone's going to be like, oh my god, it's Paul McCartney, and they're going to be hooked. I remember saying in the original episode that the moment when Paul McCartney's vocal first comes in is utterly magical, and it still is. Many 
his lush tones here are such a warm blanket pulled over you where you know that everything's going to be alright in the end even if this album isn't the best thing on earth and then when he takes it here to this energised and passionate level you know with that holler you are getting this familiar dose of McCartney passion that does evoke that Beatle magic I love this La 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 segment as well so sing-alongable again the other standout of course especially back during the intro is Denny Sywell Wings first and arguably best drummer who on this track delivers just this unbelievably groovy drumline along with all the other per- percussion that is just spellbinding for me like there are so many times when I just want to take in the whole song but I can't because I'm just sat there helplessly air drumming along with an approximation of what I think Cywell's doing because it's just incredible drumming the rhythm is always constantly moving and changing never doing one thing for too long and the way it's mixed along with the congas or bongos means the song never loses momentum for a moment and makes the original track which is something quite standard by my ear into something really quite dynamic yeah love is strange I'll tell you what isn't strange, that's my love for this song. It's wings showing why they came together in the first place, and it's brilliant. The word wild applies to... Following straight on to the end of side one, and we have the famous title track for this album in the form of, you guessed it, Wildlife. Paul's love ballad for Mother Nature herself. Now, we come on to a real song that is hard for me to come back to, because the live in Groningen version of this song, or the Bruce McMouse version, whatever you want to call it, it has this extended haunting vocal coda at the end of the song, and to me, that is now so much of what the song is. So to come back to this studio version feels a bit like coming back to your parents after moving out for university. The way Paul, in his typical way, was able to boost a song that I never personally thought needed boosting. Like, this is a brilliant song. This is so pure McCartney. And the way he was able to make it even better for the live format is purely mind-boggling. And it results in a listening experience for me where I, I now find it hard not to feel like there's a certain something missing from this track whenever I listen to it now. But whilst this sounds like a negative, To me, it only highlights again how much I fucking love this song. Because this is easily one of the most overlooked sleeper ballads in the entire McCartney canon. Yeah, I love this song. That drone, the heavy, heaving, weighty drone that is lurching forward in this guilt-ridden dirge. That, like, instantly resets you as a listener into a very introspective, quiet space and the organ keyboards that, that just ring out in this otherwise, otherwise side expanse really just lets you know that you are listening to some grand funeral tune a, a funeral song for wildlife you know, this is very much a catastrophe song and listening to it immediately you know that after three rather lightweight tracks this is not going to be throwaway at all
The atmosphere here is just so solemn and tense that like when it is punctuated by those incredibly powerful guitar notes and, the, and those drum splashes and Paul's howl, you are just overwhelmed with the drama and the tragedy of all of this. Obviously, in the light of tragic wildfires that have been devastating Australia over the last few months, the song itself suddenly takes on a much darker relevance nearly 50 years on. Especially phrases like, whatever happened to wildlife, a lot of political nonsense in the air, you're moving so fast, but baby you know not where. Like, I could not help but associate the images that I and we have all been seeing as a world with the themes and, and, and the lyrics of this track. And it is truly a shame that a song like this should ever have to be relevant, but it is. Though I guess it is strange how when I first reviewed this song, I was mainly focusing on how like McCartney's the one who is feeling like he's in a zoo and he's the wildlife and he's the one on display. It's almost like as time has moved on, that, that meaning has become less and less significant and now the song takes on a much more face value, meaning just literally talking about wildlife, just because of the continuing horrors that are going on in the world now. It is rather odd that Paul Green Veggie environmental man Animals McCartney has a song about wildlife conservation that really isn't well known either by his fans or the public. Like, I, would, I would think it is, and I'm equally surprised that it hasn't been picked up by some film to allow it some greater exposure. I love this solo as well. I'm not sure if it's Denny or Paul who does it, but it has such a wail to it. Like that guitar is in mourning. This is so tragic, this song. And yet you just got Paul's powerful roar, this wild, again, no pun intended, vocal that is just so powerful. You are, you are just overwhelmed by the passion that he's putting into this. Like this is the kind of passion that he would put into something like Maybe I'm Amazed. So, you know, we've got the big three passions on this album. We've got Wildlife, we've got John, we've got Linda. song just gets heavier here with that extra riff as well, that closing riff. I just love the way it, it has all these variations and it's so scratchy and rough and metallic. Oh, McCartney, his, his vocal here is just insane. He's really going for it. He is trying to show us here that, you know, the McCartney that we knew of the Beatles in terms of his voice at least is definitely here to stay. Lyrically, this song's always been a little bit strange to me in, in just quite how autobiographical it is. Like, just the idea of Paul McCartney going through an African park one day and seeing a sign that said the animals have right of way. Like, that's just such a McCartney-esque image. And like, it's almost like his life literally creates those kind of rhyming couplets for him to put together. You know, is there nothing that this man cannot turn into a song that rhymes really, really well? 
And here we are now, coming to the end of side one, coming to the end of Wildlife, the title track. An unbelievably powerful song. Like, it's almost it almost feels rude to talk over it, but I have to for legal purposes. But this is definitely a track that should be at least in everyone's top 50 McCartney tunes. At least your top 50. Starting off side two, we have the first song in the Wings canon that let audiences know that love songs about Linda McCartney were not going to leave the agenda just because Paul was in a band. This, of course, is Some People Never Know. It's hard not to be reminded of when the Beatles first called the demo for the Abbey Road medley, The Long One, because by God, even for an album with only eight official songs, this is The Long One. Clocking in at a whopping six minutes and 35 seconds, this is certainly a song where I feel worried I'm gonna run out of things to say. You know, that will allow me to talk over the track copyright free, as it were. Don't get me wrong, I do feel like I'm always unnecessarily harsh on this song, and maybe it's because I've been nice and uncritical for so long, uh, but this is the only part of the album that I'm not totally crazy about. And now that Mumbo has redeemed itself somewhat with me, this is officially my least favourite song on the album now, and I don't think I have ever sought it out independently from the album to listen to. But in the context of listening to Wildlife in one sitting, like we're doing now, which I do do frequently, both on vinyl and digitally, I never skip Some People Never Know, because what it lacks in independent playability, perhaps, it still makes up for it in spades by being an essential keystone in part of a, a wider environment, pun intended, um, you know, the environment of wildlife. You know, it's part of the makeup of wildlife. Though, the idea that McCartney would take this new band of his, a band where they are all supposedly equals and Paul is just the bassist, and forcing them to construct this grand, overblown, overly long, and yet still somehow kind of all over the place love ballad for his wife, is as charming as I'm sure it was annoying for the band at the time. Musically, this is certainly one of those songs that does admittedly get a lot more interesting as the track progresses. As it starts off as this rather repetitive acoustic guitar, organ keyboard, backing drum composition that focuses mostly on this kind of silly love song lyricism that we're hearing now. But it does admittedly shift towards the end especially into a, a more band oriented song. First of all you have Denny's solo which while sticking to the do the solo that's just the main melody shtick does deliver a melodrama and a heightened sense of passion that obviously is meant to match the McCartneys themselves and his playing always really resonated with me in, in that sense. As dramatic as that is though, the thing that does sell me on this track, the thing that I do listen to, is how wonderfully quiet in spots it gets as well. Of course later on in the track, the, the, the song morphs into this very minimalistic, atmospheric, almost McCartney one, Karina Craw type of tune that evokes almost like they've this the sound of like they've almost recorded the, the track and it almost and it evokes this sound of the band recording the very track itself down by the riverside or something. 
The way that the song shifts from this rising crescendo acoustic guitar that we have now though, along with that closing piano coda, along with some very experimentally exploratory uh, high-pitched synths for Linda there. It's gonna shift, as you're gonna hear shortly, into this little primal bongo, clave, glockenspiel percussion piece when it ends fully. And it's this fantastic way to end the track and give it a lot more texture than it would have had otherwise. Lyrically, the song is still a bit stilted and awkward for me in both its writing and delivery. And for the most part, this is it's something I haven't noticed anywhere else on the album, but this is probably the only song where I feel like that even the writing could have attempted another take or two. Like, like the heart is obviously there, and I do enjoy singing this repetitive melody, but uh, there are still a few syllables here that could use a tweaking. Perhaps this song would have been a little bit more palatable if it had been lessened to maybe three, even four minutes, but I just feel like it definitely outstays its welcome and it's definitely Wings insisting that it's a little bit bigger than it is at this point. Like it's trying to be a little more grand McCartney when it, it's a little bit premature and a little bit unwarranted for the band to be doing at this point. Um, I'm not saying they should know their place, but I'm, I'm saying they should actually play together for five minutes. But going back to what I said earlier, in terms of being this track that's part of the wildlife experience, I do enjoy it for what it is. It does have a certain camp charm to it, in that it's just the most indulgent, over-the-top McCartney material that we could ever get in this period. And as we now hear, this song does get a little bit experimental. You know, you don't expect it from wildlife, but this is some cool stuff here. You know, what we are getting to hear here is Denny Sywell and Paul McCartney feel each other out in terms of percussion. You know, they are both playing bongos, congas, and drums here just to really create this odd layer to the song that I really didn't expect and I always do enjoy listening to whenever I hear it. But yeah, this was Some People Never Know. A grand old attempt by McCartney to push this band in this very limited setup to see what they could do, but it just doesn't work, does it, really? And then we come on to the track that all long-term listeners of the show must know that I'm gonna be looking forward to talking about once again. This is the sweetest little show on the album, and it's called I Am Your Singer. Thank you, guys. This is just peak lovey-dovey-gooey Paul, isn't it? This is him, not only at the height of his powers as a songwriter, but at his greatest weakness to a man against Linda, Linda here, you know. Like, he's utterly, overtly, 100% in love here, they are. And again, conceptually, the idea of Macca, one of the most famous singers ever, calling his partner his song, is just one of the most endearing gestures ever. Of course, I adore this song as a duet between Paul and Linda, which, as uneven as this is, even for all of Linda's vocal limitations, is still one of the best vocals on the album, as far as I'm concerned. And like I said before, her eternal singing here is so unique 
to her in the way that it blends with Paul. Like, it just creates this utterly divine outcome. It's one of those great cosmic accidents that I'm just fortunate enough to hear on this record. It shouldn't work, and yet, I just marvel at these two lovers serenading each other now that they're bandmates. Now, this song holds a special place in my heart, not only as a McCartney song, but also a song that kind of centers my memories about a certain person and time in my life. Like, fuck, I started this podcast three years ago now, and back then I was living with a girl, a woman. I, I used to mention her loads on the podcast, and then, you know, situations changed, that relationship ended, and quite possibly my enjoyment of shameless McCartney love songs changed for a while. And it took me quite a while to come back to this song, and thank God I can now, because this song is just so gorgeous. And it's one of McCartney's best love songs. And then we come on to the Bip Bop Link, which is not written on the back of my vinyl copy of this album. McCartney is known for doing his links. We're going to see one with the Be What You See link on Tug of War later on in his career. Um, I do like this. I do like these little callbacks. It's very Pepper-esque in that sense. There was also a Mumbo link that isn't on the album but is on the archive release that obviously I'll get to one day on the show. But these little musical interludes are just a great palate cleanser to get you ready for a, a different mood perhaps or a different section of the album rather like side one we're going to go from the more shambolic kooky stuff to the more professional stuff now with our penultimate track which is widely regarded as one of the most Beatlesque songs in the early wings era and yet for some reason it was sadly never played live once oh well this is tomorrow after two very mushy, squishy love ballads, it's nice that McCartney swoops in with Tomorrow to give us a little more of a middle-of-the-road McCartney rock and roll show tune. Like, yeah, this is still about love, of course, but at least it's done it in a less schmaltzy way. You know, you know, this is classic pot boiler McCartney. He's trying to end the album more on a bit of a high note here. This is more of a professional sound. And it's a fantastic little pick-me-up of energy as we hear Macca hammer away at those keys and offer us one of the easiest vocal melodies since Bitbop, I guess. Aside from these already remarkably strong Wings group vocal harmonies on display here, this is definitely going to be one of those songs where we get to see Paul McCartney put the Paul McCartney into Paul McCartney Wings. Like, this is just him doing his classic showbiz routine, front and centre, with effortless ease. You know, in fact, this is like Call Me Back Again, where it's just McCartney on piano, screaming with high-pitched wings harmonies. We get a full range of Macca's vocals here. And then, when we come to the end, with those triumphantly distorted guitars, Macca launches into a full Little Richard howl as, as it closes, and the hair on the back of your neck just stands straight. Like, he does give it his all with this one. The speed of which the wildlife recording sessions were completed leads me to believe that Macca did have all of the songs written in the bag ready to go and a lot of the writing in the studio quote unquote was just little bits. 
Um, you know, Dear Friend and Bitbop were first heard in the Ram era, yes. But it is with this tune in particular where I really can imagine this going all the way back and being part of the Get Back Let It Be sessions. It is that Beatlesque. Just listen to it. Though, looking back, this is a song like, say, Good Times Coming, Feel the Sun, or Old Sam Sir, or Get On The Right Thing, whereby it was a gateway, easily likeable, not too complicated track to get me hooked on an album, but ultimately, maybe due to overexposure, um, it's kind of lost that honeymoon period excitement that it once had. Like, it, it could be a little cookie cutter in terms of what Maka can deliver. And yeah, if it was a Beatles song, it certainly would be improved by having the, the, other, the other three. Like, I am forced once again to recall Lennon talking about McCartney's songs lacking a little bit of progression. And it does just end at, you know, McCartney asking his lover not to let him down tomorrow, but nothing really happens because of it. You know, what did happen tomorrow, Paul? Would it be so inquisitive to ask that question? But yeah, this just ends up being a very standard Paul McCartney rocker here. It's still good, it's still good. I do like it, but but my bond with it is not as strong as it once was. And now, people, we come to possibly the most famous song from this album, as well as the final one. I hope you all have a tissue in hand, because this is Dear Friend. And this is the song that I think that we all, as Beatle fans, resonated with extremely the first time we heard it. Of course, we all know that this song is an olive branch from Paul to John Lennon that was actually written and recorded during the uh, Ram recording sessions, which explains the kind of Uncle Albert horns you're going to hear in this song later on. Like, this is Paul's anti-feud number, that is a, a wonderful way to end the first Wings album. You know, it's very transitionary in that sense. He's trying to resolve things before he can carry on with something new. It almost borders on a love ballad for John, and to hear such a frank and openly vulnerable extension of one's hand in peace from Paul in this, in this public manner is just as powerful now as it was back then. Have we ever had a quote from Lennon as to what he thought of this song? Did he ever listen to Wildlife? I'm not actually sure. If, if you actually know, please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Um, obviously this song was quite painful for Paul. Um, and that does come across in the very powerful vocal he delivers throughout this whole song. And, you know, in, in the kind of way that there's, there's never been a Wings reunion because that would be too painful for Paul in terms of Linda. Maybe he's never played this song because it's been too painful for him in terms of John, perhaps? Or, may, or maybe it's just really not commercial enough as a wildlife track. But I would have loved to have heard him do this live. As I mentioned, for Beatles fans who have to wade through the mire of that kind of post-breakup bitching, this song is a breath of fresh air that, that did give us that nugget of reconciliation. Even the fact that Ram was such a famously anti-John album, it does show that Paul's feelings were conflicted at that time. You know, Paul is doing something that he sometimes forgets that he can do, which is to write something that is deeply personal and painful to him to some degree. Like, 
this isn't a song particularly about pain or anything, but it's certainly a mournful tune. It's a one that deals with regret and worry. You know, the way he just pleads and begs to John and asks him all of these kind of vague yet very deep and difficult, poignant questions is heartbreaking for me. And it's easily the most powerful thing on the album. It just is. Going back to my comparisons to McCartney 1, the choice to place Dear Friend at the end not only gives the emotional impact of its statement that weight it needs, but it also seems to fit the old maybe I'm amazed formula. You know, you play a bunch of these rough, unpolished, some of it borderline unfinished uh, tracks, and then you wow them with this properly produced, lush, swelling, George Martin-esque final tune that A, by comparison, sounds amazing, thus help elevate, thus helping elevate the song itself, and B, ending the album on a high note and maybe tricks you into thinking that the rest of the album kind of sounded like that. So I can definitely see why he's placed it here. For me, whilst it, it could sound a little like the least wildlife style tune on the album, it is the linchpin that holds the album together. Like, this album did desperately need some top tier McCartney for this one, and thank God we're getting it here. Else the album would have just felt just even lighter than it already does. Like I said a million times though, if Maka had just taken his time and maybe either written some better songs or done more work on each of them, maybe even gotten more involvement from Denny, then maybe they wouldn't have even needed this song. But thank God Wildlife is what it is so that we could have it in the way it was delivered because this track is just so synonymous with my enjoyment of this album. I always look forward to this track. And to this day, this is a song that I still seek out to listen to specifically. You know, I always add it to playlists and I never skip it on shuffle. It's also nice to hear McCartney back on the piano for the last two songs as well. I'm, I'm sure some people at this point um, were very relieved uh, that McCartney wasn't just going to be a bassist or guitarist and having him on his classic instrument for this final tune was so comforting for me as well. Now we get this epic ending. That RAM production really coming into play here. And there we are folks, we are coming to the end of another instalment of Listen With Sam. We've just listened to Wings' debut album from 1972, Wildlife. And now this is the part where we get to lie back in bed, look at each other, light a cigarette and ask, how was it for you? The production choice to this day was the wrong call, as it always will be. Like, I cannot reinforce how much better this album could have been if the sound had just been progressed a little bit more and they've done just a little bit more work on it like they did once Wing took them into the live format and did spend that necessary time with them. You know, the results speak for themselves in that sense. The fact that it was so rushed and the fact that the band hadn't figured each other out and sniffed each other's asses to determine who could do what 
necessarily. And the fact that Linda was very rough and unskilled at this point, you know, means that there is a dearth of true musicianship on the album. Like, when the artists get a second, they shine here and there. And for the time that they had, it is well-constructed enough. Like, it is impressive that we did get wildlife out of these kind of shambolic, roughly drawn-out sessions. But there are really no standout solos, riffs, or bass lines to really speak of here. There's a lot of great vocals. But there's a noticeable lack of lead vocals from Denny, which is a shame. A trend that will continue until London Town. Unless you count No Words on Band on the Run, which is a co-credit to their writing as well, and is a kind of lead shared vocal as well, so... Okay, so maybe a trend for another two albums. But yeah, thank you very much for listening, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Listen With Sam. As always, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Get in contact, let me know your Paul McCartney stories. Follow us on the Twitter, which is at McCartneypod. Check out our blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Please leave us a five-star review on whatever site or platform you are using. And finally, if you really like the show, if you like what I've been doing here, if you'd like to listen to Wildlife with me, if you feel like you've ever liked to buy me a pint or a coffee or something like that, then please check out the Patreon links down below. Please become a patron and help support the show, help keep the show ad-free, help keep the lights running. Thank you very much, folks. Um, I'm currently writing my notes for Press to Play, part one right now. I'm having a lot of fun with that. I've learned so much about that album. I can't wait to delve into that with you. So uh, until until that is finished, next week we'll, we will do the next Paul McCartney videography episode. So look forward to that. Thank, thank you very much, folks. Take care. I'm sure Denny Lane has been playing us out for some time now, but yeah, carry on, Denny. <laughs>